Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 39 of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lendrum. I'm Jacob Grandstaff. And we have another fairly special episode for you guys today. It's going to be less focused on the... Uh, and we have a special... Un- and we have another special episode for you guys today. It's going to be a little less focused on numerous topics like we do with most episodes. We're going to mostly devote this episode to one very particular topic that once again is related to the state out of which we are currently based, but it is a topic that ultimately has broader implications for politics all across the country. Before we dive into this episode, which the stance of which may shock some of you, I first have to give a shout out real quick to YouTube. Thank you guys at YouTube owned by Google. You guys are wonderful for deleting another one of our videos. Uh, two episodes ago, we did episode 38, part one, the roots of America's new reconstruction, where we talked about how America realistically is now a banana republic with fake generals like Mark Milley essentially acting like they can usurp the president of the United States and go behind his back and talk to foreign nations like China. And among other things, we, of course, we talked, we recapped the California recall election and that video got removed, claiming that we spread fraudulent information about the 2020 election, even though I'm pretty sure we did not reference the 2020 election at all in that video. So that just goes to show that's a blanket label they'll use for any video committing wrong thing that they don't like and they remove us. So that is a second time now we've had a video removed from YouTube. So let's just take this opportunity to plug the free speech-friendly video alternatives we are also available on, where you can watch that episode in full. We are on Rumble and BitChute. And, of course, the Rumble video is what we put on our website, righttakepodcast.com. That's episode 38, part one, The Roots of America's New Reconstruction. So with that out of the way, first, I from one topic, one little preliminary topic we had to cover, I had to talk about this before we get into the main topic, Immigration is, at least just a few days ago, immigration was back at the forefront of everybody's minds. There was another catastrophic surge of illegals just pouring over the border, and this was just an especially bad situation, even worse than usual. There were tens of thousands of illegals coming across the border, many of them from Haiti, of all things, which I'm still struggling to figure out how exactly they came from an island nation like Haiti, as far away as it is, all the way through Mexico to go across the southern border. That's kind of a little suspicious, if you ask me. But tens of thousands of Haitian illegals, and a lot of them congregated underneath the Del Rio International Bridge in Texas. Upon crossing the border, they hid underneath this massive highway bridge and camped out under there, waiting for federal immigration authorities to take them away. They stayed there knowing that when immigration showed up to take them into custody, they would be held in detention for a while, but would ultimately be released back into the country's interior. There were over 15,000 illegals staying under their bridge at its absolute peak. And while they were staying there, they were camping out in the, they built up these little shanty towns for themselves. They built these little shacks and tents and mud huts. There were porta potties set up for them, but the conditions there were just absolutely squalid. They were living in absolute third world conditions, just complete squalor under this bridge, allowing diseases and other things to just fester among them. It was just absolutely out of control and it was happening on American soil. And, They, again, they hid under that bridge, knowing they would ultimately be released back into the country's interior if they were taken into custody, and that is exactly what happened. DHS Secretary Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas confirmed in a press conference that between 10 and 12,000 of them were ultimately released into the United States, and that one out of every five of these illegals carried some kind of illnesses with them, although he assured us it was not the India variant slash Delta variant of the coronavirus, which I I guess that's all we care about now. They could be bringing (laughs) malaria, measles, mumps. They could bring Ebola for all we care. But as long as it's not Delta India, you know, that that's that's fine. That's all we care about. So he admitted this. And what, what are they doing? What's the Biden regime doing? Nothing, nothing at all. But Democrats and the left, as we have pointed out in past episodes, immigration has been up to up until the Afghanistan debacle, immigration was the one thing that was most frequently used to just beat Biden over the head with, metaphorically, of course, with just constant poor approval ratings that people absolutely were not happy. Even Democratic voters were not happy to see these hordes of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of illegals just flooding across our border. And this Del Rio crisis was a whole nother wave of that, of just all the bad imagery you could think of, all the horrible optics. But the left found an out through this Del Rio crisis. There was an incident where a group of horseback border patrol agents were riding around on their horses trying to maintain some semblance of order as these illegals, again, lots of Haitians, are just racing. They're racing across American land. They've just crossed the border and they're racing through the country. And, you know, border patrol doing what they do. They're at least trying to, you know, circle around them and corral them and keep an eye on them because that is their job. And there were several photographs taken 
of agents on horseback with uh, the reins, the horse reins, you know, that they used to control the horse. And in a couple of these photographs, you can see it, they're all still images. There is no video of this, but they are spinning their reins around in half circles near them. And this actually is a very common tactic for horseback police officers in general in uh, crowd control situations, riots, and in this case, corralling illegals. It's actually a very common tactic when dangerous individuals, when rioters, illegals, what have you, are getting too close to the horse and they're presenting a threat to the horse. And witnesses who were there, the photographer and others who were there, said they could hear the officers shout several orders at the illegals, you know, get back, get away from the horse, get away from us. And the illegals kept getting closer, you know, dangerously close because the horses are treated as officers too. The horses are protected as if they themselves are law enforcement officers. So what they'll do is they'll spin their reins in half circles to keep them at bay, you know, just to kind of whip it around in the air, not actually striking them, but to keep them away from the horse at a safe distance. Of course, these photos came out and everyone and their mother in the Democratic Party just freaked out and said that, oh, my God, they're whipping illegals. They're whipping these poor migrants. This is terrible. This is unprecedented. This is horrible. Maxine Waters declared that it was worse than slavery (laughs) from in front of Capitol Hill. She said that. Joe Biden swore that the agents of the photos, quote, will pay. They will pay, he said, end quote. And an investigation is currently underway. Mayorkas has already completely shut down the use of horses by Border Patrol. No more horseback agents in the Border Patrol. And they, they just went all in on this, even though it was very quickly debunked. Even the photographer himself, Paul Ratigi, ultimately admitted, the guy who took the photos said he never once saw contact made between these reins and the illegals. They were just spinning them in the air. And multiple law enforcement experts, uh, among them Tom Homan, the former acting director of ICE under the Trump administration, pointed out that these are the horse reins. These are what's attached like to the horse's like head and neck, you know, to, to control them, to kind of steer them, if you will. You can you physically cannot use horse reins to whip somebody if you because they're attached to the horse. If you actually use them to strike with physical force another person or, or another object. It would cause the horse such panic they would either freak out and maybe buck the officer right off or they could actually just completely fall over. It's physically impossible. It makes no sense for these to be used as whips or lassos or whatever the left said they were doing. But it didn't matter. Democrats went all in on this. Again, Biden said there's an investigation on their way. All of those uh, – a handful of those agents have been placed on leave or transferred over to other departments and some of them have been threatened with being fired over their conduct, which there wasn't any conduct. They were just doing their job. Mayorkas said no more horses. But the Dems have gone all in on this. And why, why is that? Even though it's been thoroughly debunked, this, is as, this has been as thoroughly debunked as the, way, as the gender wage gap. It's something that literally does not exist, but they just won't let this one go. They keep hammering it and hammering it. Why is that? Because, unfortunately, most conservatives fell for the trap. It's been said that in any, in any semblance of a fight, whether it's an all-out war, whether it's a sports game, whether it's a rhetorical debate or argument, if you're on defense, you are losing. You should try to be on offense as often as possible. And up to this point, the right was on offense, constantly hammering Biden over these horrible situations at the border, these horrible optics. And it was working. Again, along with Afghanistan, it was consistently the lowest polling area for Biden and Democrats in general. Democrats found a way to put the right back on defense. You now have conservatives defending the agents, insisting, oh, they, they weren't whipping them. These agents did nothing wrong, that there was nothing wrong here. They're not on offense anymore they're once again on defense they fell for it because of course the left is quick to you know or the right is quick to you know facts and you know facts and logic we got to debunk something that's factually incorrect even if that means going back on defense and i think this also ties into the democrats are well aware that the border situation is hurting them but through this situation in particular they found a way to refer back to one of the chief tactics they used during the trump administration because of course trump's immigration policies were very popular But the left would twist them around into, oh, this is cruel. He's separating families. Oh, these crying little children. They figured out if they can go back to the strategy of just attacking Trump era, quote, cruelty on immigration. It may either earn them back their poll numbers or at the very least, it'll drag the other side down with them to say, oh, yeah, we may support open borders, but we're not whipping illegals like they are. You know, it's it's just so it was very clever on their part. Again, they went all in on an objectively false narrative that was been completely thoroughly debunked over and over again, but it worked. So as long as conservatives and the right in general keep falling for traps like this that put them back on defense, we will continue to lose even on the issues that should be winning us. Are, that should be winning for us at the ballot box and in the approval ratings. So we got to remember to keep on offense at all times. There should have been no more than like like a few, like Greg Abbott, for example, the governor of Texas, immediately put out a statement saying he'll hire any Border Patrol agents who are fired uh, as a result of this investigation. He'll hire them as Texas state troopers or whatever, or Texas, the Texas government will hire them. But again, that's being on defense. That's not actually 
pushing the narrative forward. That's letting them push the narrative back onto us. We've got to stop doing that. Well, the reason why there's so many Haitian migrants who are flooding the border is because from what I've, I've read, most of these Haitians have been in South America so going back to the 2010 Haitian earthquake because there were hundreds of thousands of Haitians who left and went to Latin American countries. A lot of these Haitians were living in Mexico. They had uh, migrated to border states in Mexico, and they've just been sitting there, and they're looking seeing all these Central Americans flood into the United States. They're like, hey, we can have a better life in America than we can in Mexico, so let's, let's go too. There's no reason why we can't go as well. It just shows that whenever you open the border to these alleged refugees who are actually economic migrants, it's not just going to be Spanish-speaking Central Americans who are going to flood your border. It's also going to be French-speaking Haitians. It's going to be you know, Middle Easterners. It's going to be anyone who can get to South America because now they know all we have to do is make it to South America or Central America. If we can make it to Latin America, we can make it to the United States by going through the, the southern border because they figure the Biden administration isn't going to discriminate against us just because we're not Latin Americans. Um, but I mean, as we can see, they they clearly are. You know, they're they're deporting a lot of these Haitians back to Haiti. But as far as the the issue of them whipping the migrants, this plays into the systemic racism myth. That you know, you got images of border guards who are actually Hispanic who look white that are whipping. It looks like they're whipping these black migrants, and it just plays into the whole systemic racism myth that it's system because there's so much systemic racism in America that anyone who is a border guard because they've been ingrained to dislike people with black skin, they see people with black skin, so they immediately instinctively grab something they can use as a whip and start whipping these people with black skin because it's in America's DNA to whip people with black skin because of slavery. And Republicans had a, had a golden opportunity here. The conservatives had a golden opportunity to attack systemic racism. They, they could have kept – they could have put the, you know, put the issue, the emphasis back on systemic racism, back on the myth of systemic racism, back on the fact that the Democrats believe this is a nation of immigrants, whereas it's not a nation of immigrants. But they don't do anything like that because what happens is whenever they've got Democrats on defense, all Democrats have to do is reach in their pocket and pull out the race card. They pull out the race card, and that's like kryptonite to Republicans. Republicans immediately cower in fear and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And they go back and cower into their corner so Democrats can immediately make up all the ground that they lost. And that's why Democrats don't have any problem pushing the envelope. They can you know, run up a $3.5 trillion spending bill. They can put it – they can put forward anything because they know that even if their approval rating is go down to 21 percent, which is what Biden's approval rating was on immigration, all they got to do is whenever things get too rough, they can pull out that race card and immediately Republicans wilt and they wilt away. And uh, so this is this is why they this is how they keep Republicans on defense. And that's speaking of Republicans that are good at wilting away and being on defense. That ties perfectly into our main topic. And we've been thinking about this one for a while, but this is something that had to be done. It had to be said. We've been thinking about this for the last several weeks, actually. It is time for us to pull a national review. You know, National Review famously put out their issue in 2015 or 2016 called Against Trump. And they had such a, a star-studded list of contributors. You wrote about how Donald Trump was terrible and we shouldn't support him. Well, we're going to be doing something similar, but with an objectively correct opinion this time. This is our Against Youngkin edition. So, of course, now that the California recall has happened, the only other major election in the year 2021, that is why they considered somewhat competitive, at least, is the Virginia governor's race. There's also New Jersey, but come on, we know Republicans are not going to win that election. In Virginia, as we have talked about before, former Governor Terry McAuliffe, because in Virginia, governors are forbidden from serving consecutive terms. They can serve one term and then leave, and then another term, which is kind of weird. I don't understand that system. But either way, McAuliffe, who previously served as governor before Ralph Northam, is coming back to run again. He is the Democrat nominee. And his opponent is Republican businessman Glenn Youngkin, who was one of the founders and chief executives of the Carlisle Group, for over two decades. And we previously talked about how he is, his ties with the Carlisle Group are quite questionable, especially when during the uh, race riots last year, the Carlisle Group, with a letter signed by Youngkin, co-signed by Youngkin and one of his other uh, CEOs, encouraged Carlisle employees to donate to the SPLC in support of you know Black Lives Matter. So right off the bat, I saw that, and I'm just like, I don't know. I, I can't support this guy. I do not trust this guy. But in recent weeks, Youngkin just really likes shoving his foot as far into his mouth as he possibly can and lots of conservatives are starting to take notice and realize yeah you know what maybe this is one instance where we should we should not simply bite the bullet and vote for him because he has an r next to his name he's not worth voting for so he and mcauliffe have had two debates thus far two i think only two televised debates and there was a lot said in the second debate in particular that really showed what kind of a character that youngkin is 
So I actually recently met someone who worked for NBC, and they were working the debate. It's part of the camera crew, and uh, I, I didn't even know they had a second debate. I I pretty much lost interest in this Virginia race. This guy said that they had a second debate at North Virginia Community College, and somebody asked him, sort of, was anything interesting said? And he said, no, <laughs> nothing was interesting. <laughs> I thought, well, that, that kind of makes sense. So I, I forced myself to go back and watch the debate. And uh, interestingly enough, it shows the lack of interest in this race, the fact that there's less than 1,500 people who have actually even viewed this debate. I mean, I, I figured, no, it's, a, it's the second debate. It's the final debate. Virginia's a pretty big state, pretty important state, still somewhat of a swing state. And it's just no interest. Nobody cares. Nobody's watching this. This, And again, I mean, there's obviously differing uh, analyses of this race, but I personally, and we'll get into it, I think this race is not close. I think we all know exactly what's going to happen, which that's just one more reason why I do not care for these debates. But that's just me personally. So one of the first things that came up was, of course, COVID. That's one of the big issues of the, of the day in every state and across the nation. So McAuliffe gave his opinion of Youngkin's views on COVID. I'm running against a candidate who actually has been spreading anti-vax rhetoric throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. We cannot move this economy forward and keep our schools open if we're not getting our folks vaccinated. He doesn't believe nurses and doctors and teachers should be vaccinated. I do. He goes on right-wing radio and says, quote, you don't want it? Don't take it. He was also recently quoted saying, you know, there's many good reasons why you don't need to get vaccinated. He told college students, if you don't want to get it, just fill out an exemption for whatever the reason. And he just said that nurses working in cancer facilities on individuals who are getting chemotherapy don't need to be vaccinated. I will defeat Thank COVID you. as Thank your you, governor. It will be my top priority, and we will build a All strong right. economy. Thank you. So he characterizes uh, – somewhat mischaracterizes Youngkin's position on vaccines. But the, the problem with this issue is the, the Republican base is so divided on the issue of the vaccine, and it's very, very hard for Republican politicians to get on the same wavelength with Republican voters. I mean even Trump was booed whenever he commented on the vaccine in Alabama. But this is Youngkin's response, and I mean we'll let you kind of decide whether or not this is something that he should be saying – uh, we're going to play this on 1.5 speed. You personally favor being vaccinated, but believe it should be a choice. But why should state teachers, healthcare workers, and other essential employees be allowed to do their jobs unvaccinated? Well, just to reiterate, uh, I actually believe that everyone should get the vaccine, despite the fact it's the most egregious untruth that my opponent continues to say about me. I've gotten the vaccine. My family has gotten the vaccine. It's the best way for people to keep themselves safe. And I, in fact, have asked everyone in Virginia to please get the vaccine. But I don't think we should mandate it. And I think we find ourselves at a moment where... My opponent has said, he's looked at the television screen and he has said, if you don't get the vaccine, I'm going to make your life difficult. He wants employers to fire employees who don't get the vaccine. At a time when we are trying to come out of this pandemic, we're ranked 44th in the nation in job recovery. We need those healthcare workers. We need people on the job to make their life difficult. That's no way to go serve Virginians. We can do this. We can, in fact, protect lives and livelihoods. And as governor, that's what I'll do in Virginia. So the problem with that is it's just like whenever governor, the governor of Georgia says that he's going to pass the law or sign an executive order that's going to make sure that the state doesn't mandate that kids have to wear a mask, but it does nothing to stop school districts from mandating that kids wear a mask. Um, Youngkin has not said if he's going to sue the Biden administration over this order, this executive order, that all employers with more than 100 people force their employees to be vaccinated. He's simply saying that as governor, he won't force employers to force their employees to be vaccinated, which doesn't do anything. That it's kind of a neither here nor there stance, basically. It's basically a mushy, moderate position that doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't protect workers who are going to be fired from their jobs for not getting vaccinated. It doesn't sue the Biden administration. It doesn't force the Biden administration to defend anything. Um, and also, he says that he thinks that everyone should be vaccinated. He thinks that every Virginian should be vaccinated. I am not vaccinated. I have no intention of being vaccinated simply for the for the simple reason that I've had COVID twice. I, and studies have shown that natural immunity is a greater protection against the Delta variant or any variant for that matter. Up to than, s- up than, to seven times as strong, stronger than the immunity provided by a vaccine. Exactly. And people who have uh, had COVID twice, the second time they had it, they were, it was much uh, less severe. And it was the same way for me. I didn't even realize I had a COVID the second time. I thought it was a sinus infection. I didn't find out till months later that that was actually COVID. But the vaccine isn't going to do anything for me. In fact, it could. I don't want to risk the side effects that it could bring. I don't need to be vaccinated. If you've had COVID, you don't need to be vaccinated. Um, so for him to say that everyone should be vaccinated, that's so far out of sync with not only the science, but most Republicans. But it, that's just kind of a bellwether for the rest of the debate. When the abortion came up, Youngkin was asked about the pain point. And in the previous debate, he demurred because whenever he was asked about the Texas law, he, he explicitly told reporters, I'm not going to talk about that. 
He just refused to talk about it until his campaign operatives came up with some talking points, and then he finally took a position. And the first debate, he was asked about the about his position on abortion, and the, the the moderator even said, "I'm now not asking about the Texas law." He just brought up the Texas law, but said, "I'm not asking about that." Youngkin explicitly said the Texas law is too confusing and unworkable. I would never sign something like that. Which it's like there's no pro life person anywhere who is against the Texas law because they think it goes too far. Like none. There's, Especially after it won at the Supreme Court. That was a huge victory <laughs> exactly. for pro-lifers. So he was asked again about this. He said, I, I would uh, uh, I would support banning abortion at the pain point, so when a baby can feel pain. So he was asked again about this particular point in the second debate. And rather than expound on it, he immediately deflects to McAuliffe's ra- so-called radicalism on the issue rather than lay out his plan. But here's the actual abortion laws of Virginia because a lot of people don't know what the abortion laws in Virginia are. In Virginia, this is the legal code in Virginia, Virginia Code 18.2-74. So it's it's legal for any reason up until the second trimester. But after the second trimester, it shall be lawful for any physician licensed by the Board of Medicine to practice medicine and surgery to terminate or attempt to terminate a human pregnancy or aid or assist in the termination of a human pregnancy by performing an abortion or causing a miscarriage of any woman. Subsequent to the second trimester, provided the following conditions are met. Said operation is performed in a hospital licensed by the Virginia State Department of Health or operated by the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services. Or B, the physician and two consulting physicians certify and so enter into the hospital record of the woman that in their medical opinion, based upon their best clinical judgment, the continuation of the pregnancy is likely to result in the death of the woman or or substantially and irredeemably impair the mental or physical health of the woman. Measures for life support for the product of such abortion or miscarriage must be available and utilized if there is any clearly visible evidence of viability. So just to be clear, in the state of Virginia, it is illegal for any abortion to be performed after the second trimester unless the three doctors come together and determine that the health or life of the woman um, could be at jeopardy, could be at risk. So it is abortion is illegal in Virginia past the second trimester unless a woman's health or life is at risk. And Terry McAuliffe's position on this is that nothing should change, that, that, that she is not in support of third trimester abortions unless the health or life of the mother is at risk. And see, we were just talking about that, the immigration topic, that uh, it is good for conservatives to be on offense. So for, I get why Youngkin, in a moment of sanity, wants to turn it away from himself and just focus on attacking McAuliffe. But the problem is that it's an incorrect attack. It's, yes, correct. It, which can easily be debunked. And, and he, in fact, claimed that in, in this attack, he claimed that McAuliffe has four trimester abortions. And uh, McAuliffe said that's completely a lie. And Chuck Todd even asked McAuliffe, he said, so in current Virginia law, it makes abortion illegal after the second trimester. You're in favor of that? And McAuliffe said yes. So just to be clear, it, it's important to know who your, what your opponent's position is before you attack. So essentially McAuliffe is to the right of Northam when it comes to abortion. Yes, like Northam is. is way more. more if he was running against Northam, this would have been a slam dunk, but he's not running because Northam can't run for re-election. Exactly. And another point of the debate, McAuliffe bragged about getting left-wing corporations from California to relocate to Virginia, and he claimed that because Youngkin is against abortion and is against gay marriage, this would call these corporations who employ thousands of people to leave Virginia. And he warned that Yunkin's position would hurt Virginia business, uh, businesses. It would hurt employment opportunities. Now, the appropriate response in this situation is for Yunkin to say, if those issues are more important to these mega corporations, we don't want them in our state. They can take their left-wing voting employees to a high-tax state like New York if they care that much about social issues. And if Republican voters, if, I'm sorry, if Republican governors would grow a backbone and would stand up to these corporations. These corporations could boycott states to their heart's desire. It wouldn't matter. At the end of the day, it's going to hurt these corporations because they're going to pay a higher tax in socially liberal states like New York and New Jersey and California, which is why they're moving out of California because California is taxing them to death. So where do they come? They come to Virginia. They come to Georgia, and they bring all their left-wing socially liberal voters with them. We don't need those voters in this state. I don't care how much money they make. And Youngkin should be telling these corporations, if you want to do business in our state, if social issues are more important to you, you can take yourself and these voters and you can move to New York. And Virginia will turn sharply red as a result. You'll see Virginia turn dark red. The reason why Virginia is turning blue is because Republicans make uh, create tax incentives for companies to relocate out of California. And so they come to uh, Virginia, they bring their left-wing voters with them, and they turn the state. They end up enacting you know, um, these socially liberal policies that introduce critical race theory to schools, like Amazon is uh, funding critical race theories, theory in the Arlington County schools, as we mentioned on our previous episode when we interviewed the state rep candidate for Arlington and Crystal City, Tim Kilcullen. Now, the big hit from the debate was when Terry McAuliffe explicitly said that he doesn't think that parents should be involved in the education of their children. He vetoed a bill that would have allowed parents 
they would have alerted parents if there's sexually explicit material that is uh, going to be introduced to the schools. It, w- it would notify parents, and he vetoed a bill that did that. Recently in Fairfax County, there was a bill that uh, suggested pedophilia. There was a woman – there was an outcry, and it was pulled from the schools. So this is audio. This is audio that's making the rounds, and Young can turn this into a campaign ad. This dialogue. What we've seen over the course of the last 20 months is our school systems refusing to engage with parents. In fact, in Fairfax County this past week, we watched parents so upset because there was such explicit, sexually explicit material in the library they had never seen. It was shocking. And in fact, you vetoed the bill that would have informed parents that they were there. You believe school systems should tell children what to do. I believe parents should be in charge of their okay. kids' education. Mr. McCullough, 30 seconds. So first of all, this shows how clueless Glenn Youngkin is. He doesn't understand what the laws were because he's never been involved here in helping Virginia. But it was not. The parents had to write to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledge about it. Also take them off the shelves, and I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decisions. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. So this is blown up all over conservative media. Every talk show radio host is talking about this. Every, it's all over Fox News. It's all over all the Newsmax, all these other all, conservatives are just blowing this up. They're as all far, t- yeah, as far as like this election, this particular election is concerned, this is like the Virginia equivalent of when Obama said you didn't build that or when Hillary said basket of deplorables. They right. are running away with this. So I actually agree with Terry McAuliffe on this issue. I, I completely agree with Terry McAuliffe on this issue. But for different reasons. I don't think that parents should be telling schools what they can teach their kids. Here's the thing. Every country has to have a civic religion. If you're not going to have an actual religion, like if you're not going to be based on a Christianity, you're not going to be a theocracy, you have to have a civic religion. And during the Cold War, we had a civic religion. You could not teach. You would not have been allowed to teach critical race theory in schools. It wouldn't have mattered if 100 percent of the parents wanted critical race theory taught. You would not be allowed to teach that because it would undermine our national unity. It would go against the civic religion. And you simply couldn't – it would be unpatriotic. It would be against the nation. You couldn't do that. It would undermine our national cohesiveness, and especially when we're facing now the Soviet Union. You couldn't, it's pure Marxism. It's social Marxism. I don't think if – if parents want critical race theory taught in schools, the school board should veto that. Parents should not be allowed if they look. If you're a parent and you want your kid to be taught critical race theory, you can pull your kid out. And you go start your own private school, and you and your your yuppie, you know, your 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 socially libtarded friends who want to teach their kids that they're evil for being white. You can all join your little white. Uh, what what is it that they're creating in some of these uh, these corners? These white accountability groups. Like you can white have, guilt. Yeah. You can have your little white accountability group and teach CRT in your private school that you fund out of your own bank account. But schools, parents should not be allowed to tell schools what they can teach if they want to teach something that is against the nation state. And this is why – this is where I differ with with libertarians on. Libertarians are like, well, hey, just if you're going to have public schools, let's let all the parents come together and have their input. No, you need to have a nationalist curriculum that is going to teach – that is going to brainwash kids to love America. You cannot have a nation if you don't brainwash young kids to love America. How are you going to have a nation if half the country hates the country? Our response to 1619 Project should be the 1776 Project. Exactly. You should teach – and this is uh, – Youngkin originally claimed he supported the 1776 Project, but that project goes against parent autonomy. You can't have parents telling – because what do parents know about history? Most of them don't know anything about history because they've been out of class for 20 years. It, it's the historians and the history teachers who know history and understand history. So you take a bunch of businessmen who are parents of high schoolers and you ask them about history, they're going to be like, I don't know. When Just I, teach when the I, kids to make money. Exactly. When I went to the Gettysburg Battlefield, the tour guide mentioned that he has given tours in the past where adults, not just little kids, like teenagers, adults would ask questions like, oh, wait, so where were the British during this battle? <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, like they, they seriously don't know anything about American history. But that's where McAuliffe is coming from. This is what conservatives are misconstruing, misunderstanding. McAuliffe doesn't want parents to go into schools and if something conflicts with their political beliefs, be, uh, force the school board to take the book off the shelf. And this is what we're seeing in with leftist parents who are forcing schools to pull down everything that Mark Twain wrote because he included the N-word. They're, t- they're taken off um, To Kill a Mockingbird because it includes the N-word. 
which was it was written in 1960, I believe. Well, so, and the book is literally about defending a black man who is falsely accused. Exactly. Like, that's so, literally the point. Of so the book. from so from that position, from from that perspective, I understand where McAuliffe is coming from. But conservatives need to take this Youngkin. I mean, the correct response would have been, okay, yeah, I agree. I don't want parents t- uh, telling schools what they can teach. Which means I don't want parents telling schools that they need to teach CRT. I don't want parents telling schools that they need to overemphasize our quote unquote racist past. And until conservatives take the uh, offensive on this, instead of retreating to, no, I want, I think parents should be in charge of their kids' education and not schools, until they stop taking that retarded libertarian position, they're going to continue to get their butt kicked. I mean, Obama won after he said, you didn't build that. Mm, that's right. Terry McAuliffe, I believe, is going to win after saying this because he's going on offense. He's defending his position. He's defending his veto when he was governor. And Youngkin, it, Youngkin didn't even stand up to him. I mean, the least he, he could have done is defend his position and say no parents should teach their kids. And that's without even taking into account the social stances that Youngkin is taking that are just so objectively bad. Like you read these and are just like, OK, this guy's supposed to be a Republican, right? This was one tweet he posted on June 17th of this year, and it read the following, quote, Bill Thomas and I visited the site of the first Southern reading of the Emancipation Proclamation, a visit all the more poignant as we approach the celebration of Juneteenth. We must remember the terrible periods of our history while striving to do better, end quote. Oh, but this is the guy who's going to fight CRT, right? This is the guy who's who's going to like say, oh, no, no, we shouldn't you know, teach that America's racist, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to celebrate Juneteenth and acknowledge that there are terrible things we've done in our history. Which, is, again, if you buy the idea that, oh, America was so terrible during slavery, you got to accept that literally every nation in the world was terrible at that same time. The, the British Empire, they all had slavery. So it's just – but I saw that. I mean just this absolute pandering, which to me is just – and f- further undermining our history. He's no different in that sense from McAuliffe or any of the Democrats who support CRT. So real quick on Juneteenth, this holiday was not a like – it wasn't a leftist holiday that was misappropriated by neo-Marxists as it currently is in its current form. Juneteenth was something that goes all does actually go back to Texas. I mean it's something that blacks in Texas celebrated after they found out about emancipation. It, they you know, basically Texified their black culture. They had barbecues and stuff, and it was something that in the 30s, going back to the 30s, the Texas governor recognized that it was a holiday among black Texans, and the rest of the country didn't know anything about it. The only way that people found out about it was when black Texans moved to other states and they would have barbecues on Juneteenth. Well, it became an official Texas holiday in the 80s, and it's been a Texas holiday, something that black Texans and some whites and Hispanic Texans would join in on, have barbecues together. It wasn't a big deal until the neo-Marxists and the critical race theorists began making it into a national issue with the rise of Black Lives Matter, and that's why they have they've politicized it. But, you know, it wasn't political; it was just something that Black Texans did. They had you know soul food mixed with barbecue and stuff, Texan food, and they just had barbecues, cookouts, and celebrated emancipation. But it has now become a racialized holiday. They made so, it a crusade of the race riots after George Floyd's fentanyl overdose, and then they mm-hmm. they kept trying to tie it back to the. Tulsa yeah, race nothing, riot, I had guess. had nothing to do with Oklahoma. Like <laughs> this this thing had nothing. They tried to tie it in. They tied it into systemic oppression. It had nothing to do with Tulsa. It had nothing to do with Oklahoma. It was, uh, it was strictly a Texas holiday. In fact, when black people were – I read an article where uh, this black lady said that she asked her mama what uh, what uh, Juneteenth was when she was little because some of her friends were celebrating. And her mama said, no, we don't celebrate that. That's a Texas thing. That that was the way they looked at it. It was just a, it was a holiday for Black Texans because the thing doesn't have anything to do with emancipation throughout the rest of the country. It was already you know slaves were already emancipated everywhere except for Galveston when this took place. So I mean it should not be a holiday in Virginia. It shouldn't be a holiday anywhere outside of Texas. But for Youngkin to go in on it, it's just ridiculous. So he celebrates Juneteenth, but he also doesn't take a stand on Virginia statues being coming down. The uh, the premier Virginia hero besides George Washington is Robert E. Lee. And his position on the removal of Robert E. Lee's statue was, quote, we have a court ruling. And when he was asked about it, he said, quote, we have a court ruling, and so the statue is going to come down. And this is what he told WRVA's John Reed. And so he said, I do hope, John, that they put it someplace like a battlefield or museum so that we don't forget our history. And I do hope that we, in fact, recognize how wrong the graffiti and the violence was around statues and that we have to stand up for law enforcement, not demean them and defund them. This was the progressive position five years ago, that we should take statues and put them into museums. When pressed on Yunkin's statue um, for removal, Yunkin's spokesperson, Matt Wolking, said in a series of emails, eventually, he agrees with the decision. So according to Wolken, Youngkin agrees with the, uh, the position. 
So speaking of his spokespeople and his communications employees, this is from the radio talk show America First with Sebastian Gorka. One of Yunkin's campaign people decided to call in because the problem is uh, he couldn't get Yunkin, Gorka couldn't get Yunkin to come on his show. He keeps reaching out to the Yunkin campaign and they keep refusing to come on his show. So, so he was excoriating Yunkin for being too much of a coward to come on his show and talk to his three million listeners. And then this happens. Let's go to Josh in the Commonwealth of Virginia, line three. Welcome, Josh. Dr. Gorka, how we doing? Good. You know, I'm a little frustrated. You brought in, I don't know if you saw it today, but he uh, rolled out a new policy plan uh, called his day one game plan. He wants to do all sorts of things. He wants to uh, <laughs> defend and not defund police. He, uh, a multi-point plan. He's really going into detail. It's got, about it's got all of five points, he, by the way. He, he goes into further detail. He wants to invest in our schools. Uh, restore excellence in education, cut cost of living. Uh, but what frustrates me is that he's running into headwinds from conservatives like you who want to try to take him down. We need to win in Virginia, yet you're trying to you're trying to take this guy on and, and cut his legs out on, underneath. No, how, how am I doing that, Josh, by giving him access to three million listeners, Josh? How, how is running away from talking to the base, cutting the legs? I, I'm actually trying to help him. Josh, you understand what I'm doing? I'm giving access to a microphone in front of three million people, all of whom voted for Donald Trump, Josh. So what are you talking about? I mean, if this, if this is how you treat And who cares? Who cares, what, who cares what plan? No, notice very subtle there. The caller said, this is how you treat your friends. <laughs> he's implying that they're friends? Like, yeah. I mean, clearly he's, he's not going to rip into him on national radio if they're friends. Well, j- right just the, uh, the idea that you're a conservative talk show host, you have an obligation to support every Republican. That's that's his attitude. Do you work for the campaign, Josh? This is this is how. Do you, you work for the campaign? Oh, no, 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 no. What? Don't avoid my question. <laughs> Do you work for Glenn Youngkin? I don't. I don't. Yes, I bet you don't. <laughs> Goodbye, you fake. So then, that that was the end of that segment. And then a little later in the show, and I had a hunch, and I asked him live on air, "Do you work for Glenn Youngkin?" Then he wouldn't answer the question. So I asked him once more. And he said he doesn't. Huh. Well, who is he? <laughs> well, my producer identified him. Mr. G, Jeff, who is the man who called into our show to defend Glenn Youngkin and say, I'm not a conservative? That would be uh, Devin O'Malley. De- oh, I like that. Nice Irish lady. And uh, Devin O'Malley, is he just, uh, what, a truck driver from Indiana? Well, if you go to his Twitter page, it's funny. Yunkin for governor is in the bio. <laughs> what? What? And they actually put his, his picture and his uh, Twitter handle on the screen at Devin underscore O'Malley. And sure enough, yeah, if you go to his Twitter bio, it's this dude wearing a bow tie. It's a black and white. He's got a nice black course, and white filter wearing a bow tie. Yunkin for governor. <laughs> nice Washington insider. Well, that's the thing with these radio shows. When you call in, they have a system that can trace back the phone number you called from. So some people like block their numbers. That's the smart thing to do if you're going to uh-huh. call into troll or whatever, like leftists who like to troll, you know, Ben Shapiro, they, they block their numbers. But if you don't block your number, they can trace it back. And it, it public records, you can find it fairly easily who, who owns which phone number. And sure enough, they found this guy who has Yunkin for governor's bio. And some people do put campaigns in their bios when they are just supportive of them, not for being staffers. But this guy has actually given interviews on behalf of the Yunkin campaign. <laughs> so, but not only that, busted. the guy worked for Mike Pence. He was a he was an insight. He worked for it was like a spokesman for Mike Pence. He was up in the high in the. Oh um, yeah. So, and the Washingtoner did an article on this. We'll link in the description. But the thing is, this guy he learned from his uh, he learned lying just from his boss apparently because at Harrisonburg at a campaign stop, Yunkin was asked. I mean, he was asked about the Confederate monuments, and he just said, "I believe we should absolutely teach all history," and didn't comment on it. But he was also asked about his comments about being involved with former employers paying Hillary Clinton 200000 uh, $200, in speaking fees and for telling his former employees to make contributions to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which we touched on the last time we t- talked about our wonderful candidate in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, and his response, quote, these are all lies. These are all lies. These are all lies. They're we all have wrong. the proof. Like we've still got – it's still up on the Carlisle Group's website. We've got the link in the description of the previous episode when we talked about this. This guy is flat out – he's a flat-out liar. These are all lies. And so then it's, is it any wonder that this political insider who worked for Mike Pence, who now is a, is a spokesperson and uh, plug-in Glenn Youngkin, calls in and just flat-out lies to Gorka and his three million listeners? 
Why should anybody vote for this guy? How, how are we supposed to trust him on anything that he says he's going to do? But the, uh, that's, that brings up another problem. We don't actually know what he wants to do because for until recently, he didn't actually say what he wanted to do about anything. He just ran on platitudes. I saw one ad that came up on Facebook, basically said, let's unite Virginia. That was all he said. That was his message. Let's unite Virginia. We need to unite Virginia. Around what? Unite around what? We can't unite around taking down Robert E. Lee's statue. Most Virginians don't want his statue gone. And so we didn't really know what he wanted to unite around because he didn't have any policy ideas. He finally released his uh, – you know, when you go to his campaign website, he doesn't even have an issues tab. Most websites for campaigns are going to have an issues page. He didn't have that. Still doesn't have it. And you go to uh, – he did, he did release a day one thing, things he wants to do on day one. Every just, politician does that. It's just, well, he didn't even have that until recently. He, d- he didn't have anything. And uh, it's just five points that are very platitudinal, doesn't really have many specifics. You go to Terry McAuliffe's page and it's 21 different issues and he goes in detail, has multiple pages – of uh, things he wants to do on these different issues, and it's concrete issues like he wants to invest in non-college education, wants to have uh, apprenticeships for people, wants to invest in rural communities. He gives uh, you know detailed list of things he wants to do. Uh, interestingly, that's going to actually help a lot of rural Republicans who are the base of the Republican base that Glenn Youngkin has completely ignored. Glenn Youngkin hasn't given anything to rural Republicans. He's mentioned police. Oh, and this is another thing in the debate that Youngkin was very uh, less than honest about. He claimed that McAuliffe wants to remove qualified immunity. McAuliffe does not want to remove qualified immunity. In fact, in the debate, he was very upfront about the fact that he wants to re- does not want to remove qualified immunity. Now, in April, he said he did release a statement saying he wanted to do it, but he flip-flopped it. All that matters is he doesn't, he doesn't support removing it from police officers. So that's another thing, just like the abortion issue that Youngkin overshot on this. But Youngkin doesn't have any other than... saying that he stands with law enforcement, wants to invest in education. Like this guy said, he just released a plan. He wants to invest in education. It's just a couple of bullet points. So on the issues, nobody – Youngkin really isn't offering us anything. McAuliffe is offering to invest in non-college educated uh, technical degrees, um, uh, certification for people who don't want to go to college but still want to get a good paying job. And he actually did that as governor, which uh, increased employment by tens of thousands among people who didn't get a college degree. He also wants to in, uh, make technical skills more uh, more of the forefront at community colleges and high school. Um, in Virginia, in middle school, kid, it's mandatory that kids start looking at career paths, which is what they do in Germany. It's not quite doesn't quite go as far as they do there, but it is a step above what most states do, and that's thanks to Terry McAuliffe. So on economic issues, Terry McAuliffe has concrete plans how he's going to help people in Virginia, even a lot of poor Republicans in rural areas who aren't going to vote for him. Youngkin isn't offering them anything. So he's not offering them anything on uh, on economics. He's not offering them anything. Oh, he wants to cut sales tax. That's great, like sales tax. That's really taking a huge chunk out of our out of our incomes. But so he's not offering much on ec- economics. He's not offering much on as far as schools go. He's not willing to stand up and you know demand that we enforce a, a patriotic education in our schools. That we you know he's not winning the argument on that. So you would think that maybe he uh, might have something to say about voter fraud in 2020. At least maybe that's, you know, maybe he's on the same page there, but no. Yeah, not at all. He initially, on the question of the 2020 election, which of course there are legitimate concerns of voter fraud with regards to, not necessarily in Virginia, but elsewhere, certainly in key swing states. We saw the results of the Arizona audit just came out that showed that there were tens of thousands of suspicious ballots that could have easily swayed the results of that election. But for the longest time, Youngkin kept punting on whether or not he would have voted as a member of Congress. He would have voted to certify the 2020 election. He initially refused to answer the question and subsequently was attacked by McAuliffe for it on Twitter. McAuliffe tweeted, quote, even after the death and insurrection of January 6th. Oh, you mean the death of uh, Ashley Babbitt, the only person who was killed that day? Hmm, no, probably that's probably not what he's talking about. Quote, at Glenn Youngkin still will not say the votes cast for president were legitimate and didn't deserve objection. Shame on you, Glenn disqualifying but ultimately as a result of that his campaign eventually did put out a statement saying quote glenn youngkin has repeatedly said that joe biden was legitimately elected and that there was no significant fraud in virginia's 2020 election leading to the only logical conclusion that he would have certified the election end quote so on that once again he delays he delays he delays he delays opening himself up to a volley of attacks from mcauliffe then finally he backs down and spits in the face of the base that overwhelmingly does at the very least want some kind of investigative actions over this 
So on even that, he cannot just for one on one thing, he cannot maintain consistency. He cannot come right out the gate with a stance one way or another. He just has to keep punting and then being backed into a position that's unpopular with the base. It's no wonder then. Now, with all of this, with abortion, with the statues, with the voter fraud, everything, it's no surprise that, remember this, Youngkin was never the favorite among the base to win this nomination. You look at opinion polls for the Virginia election, consistently, the favorite candidate in the Republican field, and there were seven major candidates. Of those seven, the one who consistently led opinion polling among the public, among Republican voters in Virginia, was not Youngkin. Youngkin was uh, decisively in second place. It was State Senator Amanda Chase of the 11th District of the Virginia State Senate. She is a hardcore Trump supporter who uh, spoke out in support of the January 6th protesters after they subsequently have been arrested and uh, are facing total political persecution, being thrown in prison purely for their political opinions. She was endorsed by General Mike Flynn, among others, in her campaign. And even for speaking out uh, in support of the protesters who are having their rights stomped on by the deep state, she was censured by the Virginia State Senate. For conduct unbecoming a senator. Oh, because I guess being against political persecution is now unbecoming of a senator. That's interesting. Uh, But yeah, she was the overwhelmingly favorite. Had this been a public primary among voters, as I said it should have been, which is what the Democrats did. That's how McAuliffe won the nomination. Had that been the case, she probably would have won the nomination. But because it was a vote at the convention among party delegates, she lost. She came in third, I believe, in the, the ballot vote. But despite even this, you know, Youngkin still ran when he ran for the nomination. It's like, oh, I'm a businessman. I'm an outsider who will you'll fight the deep state or whatever, you know, all that stuff. But since then, as we've documented here in the general election, he's moderated. He's gone soft. He's constantly backed down on issues that even an issue like abortion, which is not a top issue by any means. It's not immigration. It's not big tech. It's not voter fraud. It's abortion. It's, it's like gun rights. Like you, you just say you support gun rights. Say you are against abortion. It's easy to do. It's not really going to turn away. Anybody who wouldn't vote for you for that already was not going to vote for you anyway, but he couldn't even do that. But despite all this, Youngkin is still being compared to Trump. If I'm on YouTube a lot and I'm constantly seeing these stupid ads from Terry McAuliffe on front of my YouTube videos showing Youngkin side by side with Trump saying, why is Glenn Youngkin running? And a quote of him saying, part of the reason why I'm running is because of Donald Trump. And he touts Trump's endorsement. And of course, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, that makes me want to support him. But mm-hmm. of course, they're portraying it as, oh, he's he's a Trump clone. He's, in both debates, McAuliffe used the phrase Trump wannabe to describe Glenn Youngkin. And Youngkin runs away from it. Though. He runs away from it, which again, he Seemed to understand that that was important running for the convention, but now that he's the nominee, he's changed his tone quite dramatically, a full 180. Here's the thing, the bottom line we want to get to here as we wrap this up. Despite all the evidence that McAuliffe, that Youngkin just keeps shooting himself in the foot and is heading towards a defeat in what could have at the very least been an easily tied election, I think he's going to lose. The mainstream media is still portraying this as a close race. Reuters put out a headline titled, quote, a four-alarm fire. Tight Virginia governor's race holds warning sign for Democrats. There was another headline I saw, I forget which outlet, but it said, California's recall election was a landslide. Virginia's won't be. Uh, and then this one, this is from MSNBC. The headline currently reads, quote, Virginia governor race, what Glenn Youngkin says about Trump's power. But I caught this before they changed the headline. The headline for that MSNBC article originally said, quote, Virginia's tight governor race should set off alarms about the ongoing threat to our democracy. So apparently Youngkin is a threat to our democracy. This total squish rhino who won't speak out against tearing down statues, who doesn't support pro-life laws, who doesn't acknowledge legitimate concerns about voter fraud in the election. He's a threat to our democracy. He said he would have certified, he would have voted to certify the 2020 election, but apparently he's a threat to our democracy. They are still attacking him nonstop, and they're portraying this as a close race to drive up fear among Democrats. That's what McAuliffe is doing. McAuliffe is portraying him as a Trump clone. He's going to you know, do to Virginia what Trump did to America, which, I mean, was obviously good, but to Democrats, that's terrible, to gin up fear among their base so that there will be a huge turnout, and McAuliffe will ultimately win. Again, he's got name recognition, which is another big thing. He is a former governor. He's Youngkin is very, very rich. He's filthy rich, obviously, from his Carlisle days. But McAuliffe isn't exactly poor either. He's got connections to the Clinton machine. He's got plenty of money, too. So it's not really a matter of money. If it was purely a matter of money, if this was any other Democrat who ran for the nomination, like, you know, Lee Carter or any of those others, I think Youngkin absolutely would outspend them like crazy. But the bottom line is 
the mainstream media is portraying this as a close race, um, obviously for clicks and ratings, but also to get Democrats fired up to vote because Republicans obviously are not fired up to vote for this guy anymore after over the course of the last few weeks. So yeah. some people so some people may argue, well, if you don't vote for Youngkin, then Terry McAuliffe is going to win. And we can't let that happen because he's a Democrat. So Sean Kennedy of the Republican Standard had a really good take on that. So let me tell you why the quote unquote, so you want Terry to win is the absolute worst argument the paid Youngkin boosters could make right now. Pro-lifers didn't make this decision on our own behalf. Someone else decided that because McAuliffe was worse. Pro-life activism could be gambled away in the hopes that Nova moderates, that's North Virginia moderates, could be mollified. Guess who wins in that exchange? Not the babies, that's for sure. The fact of the matter is that pro-life Virginians didn't make this decision of their own volition. Axiom and the Yunkin Brain Trust decided to trade pro-life support for Northern Virginia votes. Let's be clear about the calculated trade-off here. In 2013, Republicans ran the most pro-life gubernatorial candidate in Virginia history. Ken Cuccinelli came within 2.6% against McAuliffe, while fending off a third-party libertarian candidate who came in at 6% in a chronically underfunded campaign. So in 2013, Terry McAuliffe would never have been elected governor if it hadn't been for that libertarian candidate. The most pro-life candidate in Virginia's history would have won the gubernatorial race running on a pro-life platform in 2013 if not for the libertarian. By contrast, Yunkin is presently down five percentage points in the aggregate polling. So don't sell me for a second that being pro-life hurts us all in Virginia. And this is the this is the thing. If you're not going to give us anything, why should we come vote for you? Because you're not offering us anything. You're not offering us anything on economics. McAuliffe is actually better in many in many ways on education and economics than uh, than Yunkin is. You're not going to offer us anything on the social issues. And he says he's going to ban critical race theory. But again, that goes back to the point you made earlier about being on defense instead of offense. OK, so you're going to stop critical race theory. All right. What then? What are you going to replace it with? How are you going to go on offense to make it impossible for these leftists to ever even think about introducing something like critical race theory again? Again, he doesn't have a plan for that. He doesn't have a plan on much of anything. He doesn't – his website just talks about himself. And in fact, whenever you go to, uh, to his website and you look at the pages, about you know, almost all of the, the links are just how to get involved, how to donate, how to support. You know, he talks about himself and his family. That's great. That's wonderful. You've got a cute family. But you're not, if you're not offering us anything, we don't have a reason to vote for you. And the argument that, well, the Democrat will win. OK, well, we've got a Democratic governor now. OK, we can survive. We'll live with it. The world isn't going to come to an end. Again, McAuliffe, by most standards, certainly on abortion and other issues, is a better governor than Northam. He'll be better off for us, at least than Northam will be. So yeah. that's that's it's not like we're taking a step. And back. just to be clear, you need, we need to vote Republican on uh, for the attorney general for, you know, for the other statewide races. Definitely vote at the state rep position for the state senators. We need to turn, flip the legislature red. You know, if, if Youngkin wins, he's not going to win with my vote. If he wins, he wins. If he loses, he loses. But we definitely need to flip the legislature red. And that will be a check on McAuliffe's power. Exactly. And here's the final prediction I'm going to make. I'm not sure if you agree with me on this, Jacob, but I think here's what's going to happen. This, like I've said, the mainstream media is portraying this as a close race. I think it's a foregone conclusion, very much like the California recall. McAuliffe is going to win this election. He will win, I think, by a comfortable margin, anywhere from high single digits to low double digits. Northam scored like one of the biggest landslides last time in 17 with like, I think, a nine point margin. I think McAuliffe is easily going to beat that. That, unfortunately, is all the time we have left for this episode. Be sure to follow all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The list of social media websites and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. Don't forget, we are on BitChute and Rumble, which are the alternatives to YouTube that don't delete our videos for speaking the truth. And, of course, if you are feeling so generous, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.